Is everybody blessed? Amen. Blessed to be a blessing, right? Amen. Well, praise God. We're going to continue uh, in the series of walking with God. How many of you know it's really important that we learn how to walk with God? Amen. On a daily basis. And so, uh, if you would open up your Bibles this evening to 2 Peter chapter number 1. We're going to start there. 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to begin at verse number 12. It says, Wherefore, uh, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and you be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up, by putting you in remembrance. I want to stop there just for a moment. How many of you know that repetition is the greatest teacher? It's the motor of learning. You learn by constant repetition, hearing it over and over. Faith cometh by what? Hearing Hearing and hearing by the word of God. I was so thankful to hear. I'd, I'd never heard before, Pastor Justin, that faith was the currency of the kingdom. I like that. It is. It is the currency. It's what makes it work. Your whole life is based on the foundation of what you do with your faith walk with the Lord and how far you go with Him. As a pastor, I, you know, I had people come to me and they'd say, uh, Pastor Phil, can we minister on something other than faith? Is there, is there other things? Well, certainly there's other things than just talking about faith. But uh, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. I asked them, how far can you go in faith? They said, well, sometimes it seems like we're just, we're going too far. How far can you go in faith? Please tell me how far, you know, where is the stopping point where we, we, we stop going and exercising faith in the operation and the ability of God? There is none. We have to remove the limits and just keep on keeping on. You will, you will constantly be learning something all the time. Look. Look at your neighbor and say, be open, be be teachable, teachable. and subject to change. change. Listen, you will never change if you're not open and you can be taught. Is it a possibility that we don't know it all? I think we can all learn something more. Even though I've pastored for a long time, I still realize I've got a lot further to go. There's a whole lot more that's out there and available to us. And you know that uh, church should not be just as usual as norm. Church should be something where when people come in that are hurting, that are broken in different ways, physically, emotionally, and everything else, this ought to be a house of refuge for them. It ought to be a healing place for them. They ought to be able to get the deliverances that they need without, a, without having any problem whatsoever. And you know, whenever people get healed, delivered, and set free, it shouldn't be something that's strange to us. That ought to be the norm. Church should be the place where people get set free. Amen. Amen. A happy place, an encouraging place, a strengthening place. And he says, I, I don't find it uh, hard. Peter said, I don't find it hard at all to give to you once again the things that you already know. Paul the apostle said the same thing. He said, I don't mind bringing back to you the things that uh, you already have been taught and told. Repetition ends up being the greatest teacher because it's the motor of learning in our life. So he goes on, he says, yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my uh, decease to have these things always in remembrance. In other words, I'm going to give you something that's going to be perpetual. It needs to be transferred and, and carried on by the next generation. How many of you know that the, the generation that we're in uh, right now, we're the generation, if, if you've been reading your Bible accurately, we're the generation where all things are going to be fulfilled. I mean, this, this is an exciting generation. We are the generation where the, the latter rain and the former rain have come. It's not going to come together. It has come together. Amen. 
there is an explosion in the atmosphere. That's the reason that you're hearing the prophets and the apostles speaking, saying that it's harvest time. The fields are already white unto harvest. The Lord said that uh, over 2,000 years ago. The fields are white already unto harvest, but this is really harvest time. This is the last move of God that's going to bring in the harvest of the souls. And you haven't seen and I haven't seen anything like what's about to transpire and take place. Miracles are going to be the norm. Amen. Marvels, wonders, extraordinary manifestations of the greatness of our God. I want you to know the Holy Ghost wants to come in and he he wants to show up and he wants to show off. Because he does what God does. Supernatural things. Amen. So it should be happening for us through revelation knowledge. Knowledge is increasing. And we should be, we should understand that our knowledge of what we're getting is, is beginning to, to bring forth that last season. We're going to usher in the presence of the Lord. He's not just going to show up one day. We're going to bring him. We're bringing him here. Amen. And so the things I want to share with you tonight, I have five things that I want to share with you that you and I need to be doing. And they're simple things. They're things that you've already heard and everything else. And, I, and you've been taught this, but being taught this and catching it are two different things. You can hear it and not hear it. Remember the Lord says you have ears to hear, but you're not hearing. You have eyes to see, but you're not seeing. Remember in the Old Testament where Elijah and Elisha were together, where uh, Elisha and Gehazi were together, and, and there was things in the supernatural that the young men, the ones that were being mentored, could not see. So the, the one that was the mentor said, Lord, open their eyes, open their eyes. And I say to us, Lord, open our eyes so that we can see, that we can see what's going on in the supernatural. I was, you said things that I haven't planned on. In 1998, I had a vision, a supernatural vision. I'd been walking with the Lord for a, a number of years, close to the Lord, and, and we were in a service. We had a prophet with us. We had another uh, teacher with us, and we were having a seminar that week. And uh, we started on a Wednesday night, and we were going uh, through Sunday, and uh, we were going to take Saturday off. But uh, in, in that special time, it was on a Friday after, or excuse me, a Friday morning. And the, the minister that was there, you won't know this man's name, but I remember him because uh, we had invited him to come with the prophet. His name was Minister Greg Squires. He pastors a church in Florida right now. Very successful church. Anyway, he was doing the morning service for us and he was ministering on prayer. While we were while he was ministering in prayer, I got caught up in the spirit. Now, I have not been one prone to seeing visions or being caught up in that fashion, but I was caught up in the spirit. And in my city, I was taken down to the gates of the city, which at that time was the the rotary. There was a rotary there where north, south, east, and west converged on one another. And I was there at the city, but I could hear everything that was going on in the service. At the same time, but I got focused on North Street. I was looking down North Street and I saw what appeared to be an army, but it was an army of soldiers that were dressed in white and red fatigues and they were marching in perfect cadence, absolute perfect cadence. And I said, Lord, what is this? What is this? And he said, these are soldiers that have been sent to you. Uh, are sent into the, to the city to aid and to assist. And I'll explain a little bit more. But they kept coming closer and closer and closer to me, and the shuffling of their feet got louder and louder, and it was such precise uh, precision of marching. Never heard anything like that. I'd been in the military, and so we marched and did all this thing, but it was nothing like that. They had no weapons of carnal warfare. They were just marching, but in precise precision. 
Then all of a sudden I heard something uh, on my right-hand side, which was East Street, and there was soldiers coming down that. And then I heard something that was right behind me, and I turned to South Street, and I saw the same thing. And then the next thing I knew, I was back in my seat, sitting next to my wife, but I couldn't speak. I couldn't talk to her. She kept asking me. She said, honey, what's the matter? Because I was crying profusely. I was, I was shaking all over because I was in the presence of the Lord like I'd never been before. Then all of a sudden, I heard the sound come into our church. And they came into the foyer, and they stood at the entranceway of the sanctuary door. And I turned myself about to look, and the soldiers separated themselves. And out of the soldiers came what looked like a normal person dressed in normal clothing, came walking down the center of the aisle, and came and stood in front of me, and looked at me, and he said, I am sent by the Lord to tell you, my name is Gabriel, and I just began to shake all over. My name is Gabriel, and I have been sent on specific assignment in order for you to know that these are angels that have been sent on assignment to aid and to assist you to fulfill all that you have desired to do in fulfilling the vision. And he turned and walked away and disappeared in the middle of the aisle. And so did the other soldiers. They, they just disappeared. And so <clears throat> I finally got my composure and the, I could hear the service was closing out and it was time for me to go up and receive the offering and and, uh, you know, dismissed the crowd and everything else. And so I turned to Diane and I said, Diane, honey, uh, I've got to leave the building. I'll tell you later, but I've got to leave the building. I can't close out the service. Would you do that for me? She said, sure. So she took over the service. And as soon as she did, I walked out and got into my car and I slumped over my steering wheel and I was crying. And all of a sudden, my passenger door opened up and the prophet that was with us got into the car and he sat down and he said, Phil, he said, what did the angel say to you? I said, you saw that? He said, yeah, I see angels all the time. He said, what did he say to you? He said, I could sing, talk to him, to you, but I, I can't hear what he is saying. And he said, he brushed me by the shoulder whenever he came to stand in front of you. And so I told him what he said to me. And he said, well, that makes sense. He said, I see the angels all the time. I said, I don't. <laughs> he said, that just makes sense. He said, because whenever I came into town, he said, I saw angels flying around everywhere, and I didn't know what they were there for. I knew that we have angels in garrison all around about us, but I hadn't seen them to that degree or level. He said, that makes sense. He said, those are warring angels. They came to do war and battle in the spirit. But he says, you're going to have to command them the word, and they'll bring it to pass. Now, I said all that to say this to you and I. Walking with God is such an awesome privilege and pleasure. See, God wants to do signs, wonders, and miracles in your life. But signs, wonders, and miracles don't just happen. They happen because you prepare your heart and you get things ready. Yes, you can lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. But we're not just talking about laying hands on the sick. We're talking about miracles. We're talking about gifts of healings, working of miracles, tangible things that happen instantaneous. They're not something to take time. They happen instantly. You'll see them all through the scripture where when Jesus laid hands on people, when he raised the man from the dead that was on the briar, when Lazarus came out of the tomb. I mean, all of these different things, they were instant. And everything that caused the ones that had died to cause them to die, he also took care of that. It would be terrible to bring somebody back alive to only go through the same thing that they were going through. He took care of everything that was, that was transpiring and taking place. 
So we have repetition begins to be our, our greatest motor of learning in our life. Then we want to perpetuate it by sharing it, passing it down. We don't need to keep our stories quiet and silent. We need to share what God is doing in our life. I said, you know, I said to, I had a a banker friend of mine who loved the Lord. He was a Catholic man, but he loved the Lord. And he said, he heard the testimony that, uh, that we had, we had a, uh, a pastor's group that came together on a monthly basis. And we were doing a big conference with all of the pastors that were in the city that were hooked up with uh, the word of faith. And, and, uh, uh, we were holding this for the city, and they wanted me to share that testimony. And I said, well, how am I going to be able to stand before them and tell them that Gabriel came and talked to me? I'm just, a, you know, I'm just a country boy. Just a country boy. You know, I, what are they going to think? And then the scripture came to me, don't mind what the people think. Don't be moved by the people. You can't be moved by what people think. Oh, no, I, I know there's a lot of things out there. I know people have said certain things about uh, Gabriel and everything else. But I'm telling you, the real deal really happened. Right. Amen. That happened 21 years ago. And I still remember it today just like it was yesterday. Amen. And so we want that to create a relationship uh, with us and keep that in remembrance so we can pass that down. Not just keep it to ourselves, but pass it down. It's the same thing that you and I need to do in our life. I want you to listen to this uh, distinct group of people and see what you think they all have in, uh, you know, in relationship together. Abraham, Moses, David, Elijah, Elisha, Peter, James, John, all of the other disciples, Paul the Apostle, John G. Lake, William Parham, Pastor Seymour, our Azusa Street man, Amy Simple MacPherson, A.A. Allen, Jack Cole, William Branham, Catherine Kuhlman, Mary Woodworth Etter, John Dowie, Smith Wigglesworth, Kenneth Hagen, Lester Summerall, John Osteen, Kenneth Copeland, Dr. Jerry Savelle, Dr. Frederick K. Price, Oral Roberts, Charles Capps, Norval Hayes, and we could just go on with the list, etc., etc., etc. Phil Thurman, Pastor Justin Bridges, Annette Bridges. The names can just go on and on and on. What do we all have in common? All of these men and all of these women have been walking with God. And they experience marvels, wonders, extraordinary manifestations of the greatness of of our God. Our God is a good God. He shows no favorites. What he's done for one, he wants to do for all. The anointing, even though there's different offices and different callings and different manifestations in those offices, we're all called to serve. The greatest calling that we have is to be the servant of all. He said, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you got to learn to be a servant. You got to learn to love people. And sometimes some people are really hard to love. Have you ever had any of those? Sometimes they're hard to love. But you know what? Jesus never found one person that he didn't love. He never found one person that he couldn't minister to. 
There wasn't one circumstance or situation that he wasn't willing to deal with. It didn't make any difference if they were sick, maimed, lame, blind, deaf, dumb, bound with demons. It didn't make Jesus any difference. Jesus just loved people because that's the nature of God. God couldn't help himself, so he created you and I. I mean, you know, you've always existed. You've always existed. You're a spirit. You possess a soul, and God put you in an earth house called a body. And when we expire from this life, depending on what we have chosen in this life, determines where we spend our eternity because we are eternal beings. God is a spirit and he's eternal. When you think of eternal, where is the beginning of it and where is the ending of it? There is no beginning. There is no ending. I don't understand that in this finite mind, but I know that whenever I meet him face to face, I will know as I've been known. You know, we always say we're going to ask a lot of questions. No, you're not. No, you're not going to have time to ask questions. I mean, I always wanted to, I said, Lord, I, when, I, when I get to heaven, I want to talk to Adam first. And just ask him, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? And sometimes we need to look at ourselves. What are we thinking? What is going on? We serve such an excellent God. Everything he does is excellent. There is nothing. Look at, just look at your body. Just look at the trees outside in the, in the, uh, the yard out there. You know, look at all of the birds of the field. The, you know, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea. They're magnificent. God is such a good God. And he created everything so that we could have enjoyment. Every part of this country is beautiful in its own way. Even the Arizona desert. that we, I lived in it for three years. Pastored there for three years. You know, even the desert has its beauty. So God wants us to enjoy everything that there is concerning everything he's given to us. So all of these people had... The same thing in common as you and I. And I just gave you those names. Diane and I were privileged to be around several of those people. We got to be in Catherine Kuhlman's service. I don't know if you've ever heard of Catherine Kuhlman. You know, we got to be with Brother uh, Dodie and John Osteen. Got to meet them and know them personally. I knew them. We knew them when they had 150 people in their church. Back in the old feed barn. They just built another facility next to the old feed barn when we got to meet them and be a part of their life. Get to meet Brother Hagen and, and Norval Hayes and some of these others, Charles Capps. Just to be in their services, to be around them and to enjoy the things. Lester Semerall, me and several other pastors got to sit in a room with Lester Semerall. There was 10 of us pastors. No, there wasn't. There was 20 of us pastors. We were sitting around in a in a circle. He had already taught us that morning in a morning session. And, and uh, after lunch, he got us in a circle and he said, now, he said, guys, I'm going to put us in a circle and you just ask me whatever you want. He said, there's no dumb questions. Ask the question. So the first minister stepped up and asked a question and Brother Summerall he, he educated us on the fundamentals of faith. He kept saying over and over, keep it simple. The gospel is simple. Don't make it hard and complicated for people to grab it. It's simple because if you make it hard, then they won't ever launch out into the deep with it. Keep it simple. You can do this. I can do all things through Christ. And that's what he kept saying. Keep it simple so that the people can grab it and run with it. Walking with God. 
You get around people that have walked with God for years and years and years, and there's something that's unique about them that's different than anybody else. They've just been there. They've done it. They've experienced so many different things. That's the reason that I have said, you know, the, you know, the, the people that have the greatest wisdom are the people that have spent longevity with the Lord. They know things, they've done things, they've seen things, they've tried things. And we need to learn to listen. How many of you always listen to your parents? Most of us, whenever we got teenagers, we decided we knew more than our parents. I used to think my dad was really square until I grew up and became a father myself and realized how unsquare he was. He was really uh, on, the, on the threshold. He was not a Christian man until later on in life. But nonetheless, there was so much wi- wisdom that was on the inside of him. And there's so much wisdom in those that have spent longevity in life with the Lord. You think about Simeon and you think about little Anna who, who didn't have any great reputation. They weren't necessarily known by name. You know, other than that they were in the house of God all the time praying. They were just constantly in prayer, just believing God for the Messiah to come. And, but you know what? They're the first ones that got to see him. They're the ones that really got to, to see because, see, they had believed God. And Simeon wasn't going to check out of this life until he got to see the Lord of glory. And he got to see him, got to handle him and hold him firsthand. Walking with God. You know, I think we're going to be really surprised when we get to heaven to see who is sitting on the main seats. It's not necessarily going to be those preachers that stand behind the pulpit and everybody has, you know, really lifted them up and, and put them up on a pedestal and everything else. It's that little prayer warrior that's in that closet, you know, that's praying day and night and believing God for the supernatural to transpire and take place. That little person that's going out into the highways and the byways and just compelling them to to come in to the house of God and to be fed. Turn with me, if you would, please, to Philippians chapter number 3. I want to start with the first one. Philippians chapter 3. Is this ringing any bell with you yet? The importance of really getting to know him, the pastor keeps saying over and over, it's your relationship with God that matters. Did you know everything else is not important as is the relationship that you have with God himself? Did you know that God has needs? I never knew he had needs. I always thought he was the need giver. But he has needs. I found out what the need was. Or need, he needs me to love him. That's the reason he created me, is so that I would reciprocate back to him his fatherhood. He is our father. We cry out in the spirit and we say, Abba, Abba, Father. Now, I'm not knocking anybody, he's not daddy. He's father. He's a daddy like one, but he's father. Father has a deeper meaning than just dad. Because dad can be just a friend. Father is not just a friend. He is your friend. But he is the lover of your life. He loves you with an everlasting love. You can do, in his eyes, you can do no wrong. Even though you've done wrong. And if you're willing to lay those things out on the line and say, Father, I have sinned. He is willing and he's just to forgive you of those sins and to forgive you as far as the east is from the west. Never to be remembered anymore. He never remembers it whenever it's brought up. He doesn't remember it. Now, you will remember your 
mistakes in life. Paul the Apostle did and used it in part of his uh, teaching and ministry uh, to those that aspired to Jesus Christ, giving his credentials of who he was and where he came from. But he remembers all of the negative things that he did. Just like the Lord said that the Old Testament was a type and a shadow of that which was to come. It's our, it's our schoolmaster. It's something that teaches us. We can learn from Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, you know, and all of the, the negative ones. We can re- learn something from Balaam. How God could use something negative and make it into positive. So here we find with Paul the Apostle, he's made several declarations, but I want to get to verses 13 and 14. He said, brethren, he said, I count not myself to have apprehended. See, he's open. He's teachable. He's subject to change. He says, I haven't gotten there yet. He said, I don't know it all. He said, I've not apprehended. He said, but this one thing I do, and here is the first thing, with walking with God, you got to let go of your past. Forgetting those things which are behind. What can you change about it? Absolutely nothing. It's past. There's nothing that you can change about it except to present it to be put under the blood of Jesus Christ. That's all you can do at best. So you've got to let go of the weights. You know, there's nothing any worse than, than you know, dragging dead carcasses behind you. You know, they stink. They make you stink. They make you, make you have stinking thinking. You're more than a conqueror. You always triumph in the Lord. You're victorious. For you, to, for, for you to fail, Jesus would have had to fail. Jesus did not fail. He is your elder brother. He's also your attorney. He stands at, or he sits at the right hand of the Father. And when the accuser of the brethren approaches and he makes an accusation concerning you, he turns to the Son and he says, Son, what about them? He says, they're washed in the blood. He says... I find no fault. Not guilty. You can say whatever you want to say. He's not guilty. He's washed in my son's blood. I find no fault in him. There is no fault in you. How many of you have been washed in the blood of Jesus? Listen, that blood's a whole lot bigger than your your sin. It's a whole lot more powerful than your sin has ever been. Past, present, and future. Jesus has taken care of it. You just have to acknowledge it. That's all he's asked you to do is to acknowledge when we fail in the things of God. And there's not a one of us in this room that hasn't failed. There's no perfect preachers. And I got news for you. There's no perfect you. Look at your neighbor. He's talking about you. Relax. Relax. God's on your side. Amen. Amen. You know, when the enemy comes against you, he doesn't just see you. He sees everything that backs you up. You've got the angels that have been sent on assignment to aid and to assist you. You've got the Holy Ghost who is with you and in you to will and to do of God's good pleasure. That's the reason you're an ambassador. You've been called into the service of the Lord. We've all been called to the ministry of reconciliation. You've heard that in this church over and over. We never stop reaching out to win the lost. At whatever the cost, whatever it takes, his arms extended. He said, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth. Everybody say, reaching forth. Get your eyes in front of you. Quit looking back. You can't change what's behind you. Look forward. What's in front of you? What's your vision? What's your dream? What's your desire? Never give up on the dreams that God has given you. Never. 
Even though they say that I've retired, I've not retired. I'm just refiring in a different venue. There is no retirement for me. The gifts and callings of God are without repentance. God's never going to change his mind, and I'm not going to change my mind. If he's not going to change his mind, I'm not going to change my mind. I'm not just going to go back and sit on an island somewhere and just have you know, rest and relaxation. Now I may go to an island and have rest and relaxation. But I'm not just going to avoid the facts that God has called and has a gifting and callings upon my life or upon your life. There is no such thing as the word. You need to take it out of your vocabulary. Quit. Remove it. There is no quit in you. Forgetting those things which are behind. But pastor, you don't know how I have failed. No, I don't know and I don't want to know. I don't need to know. Just take it to the Lord and let him deal with it. He knows how to take care of those things. Amen. All I want to do is just love you. I just want to be an extension of his, of his hands and, and uh, you know, his legs, his mouthpiece to be able to speak and to share so that, so that we can get to our determined destination. I always had this, uh, and I think I've heard Pastor Justin say this, there's always somebody above you and there's always somebody behind you. You need to always be pushing up and you need to always be pulling up. Amen. Push that person up into that next venue of their life. Pull that person up into a venue that they've not experienced yet. So it would be a constant, constant pushing and pulling up. That's what God is doing. He's trying to get us up and come into a higher level. He wants us to go to the next level. And then when we get there, he'll take us to the next level. And when we get there, he'll take us into the next level until that great noble day of the Lord comes. Amen? Amen. That's a wonderful thing. He said, he goes on and he says, I press. Everybody say, I press. press. How many of you know that requires effort? You can't just sit on the sideline and just say, well, the Lord's going to take care of me. You got to press. The woman that had the issue of blood, what did she do? She pressed. She pressed through the crowd. How many of you know that she had the right to be stoned because she was supposed to be telling them unclean, unclean, unclean? It just wasn't a person with leprosy. She had a blood disorder, a blood disease, and she was unclean. And she pressed herself through the crowd, and it was a huge crowd massed around Jesus, and he, she pushed her way through Because she knew that if she could touch the hem of his garment. See, her miracle was in her touch. Scripture says, oh, that I might feel him. It's good to feel him, but you don't go by the goosebumps. You can't go by the goosebumps. You've got to go by what the Word says. The Word says you're healed whether you feel healed or not. The Word says you're delivered whether you feel delivered or not. It says that you are. If it says that you are, then you might as well go ahead and say you are. You're not lying. How about you might have some lying symptoms or the enemy trying to keep you bound in your life. He said, press. He said, I press. He's emphasizing there's something that he has to do in his journey and his walk with the Lord to get to that next destination. He said, I am determined to press. I'm going to press toward the mark of the prize. How many of you like prizes? Amen. Of the prize, of the high calling. Say, I have a high calling. calling. Say it again to your neighbor. You have a high calling. You have a high calling. You know, the Bible says that each joint supplies. We're a body. We're members in particular together. And he has put into the body as it has pleased him. The reason that you're here in this body and the reason I'm here is because it's pleased the Lord to put us here. Pastor Justin didn't come and solicit me. He didn't know who I was. Even though I had been here numerous times in services, you know, because my daughter, when we come visit her, we would always come to Heritage of Faith. Pastor Justin only knew probably maybe I was a visitor at one time. 
But he didn't know that when we, when we closed our assignment out where we were at, we didn't have to go look for a church home. We didn't have to go church hopping to find a church. We knew where we were going to be. And I immediately, when I left the pastorate, I had a pastor. He just didn't know it yet. Until I made an appointment with him. Me being a pastor, I know that pastors like to be approached and, and, and like to be told whenever sheep are coming in, they like to know who's coming in. So we met with both Pastor Annette and Pastor Justin, my wife and I, and we sat down with them and we told them we are coming and hooking up with Heritage of the Faith. Why? Because this is where God's called. This is where God's called. And... Did I ever ask you to preach? I haven't asked you to do anything, have I? The Bible says a man's gifts makes room for itself. We don't have to fly our flag. I know that the 41 years of being a pastor is a real plus. But, but that's not why I'm here. I'm here to aid and to assist my pastors to fulfill the vision God has laid on their heart. Amen. That's what it's all about, is hooking up with what it is that God has already established so we can get to our determined destination. If we're going to get to 2,300 people, or how many, 2,000 people in the year of 2023, listen, we've only got four years. And we're already halfway through this one. So we got to get on the ball. Actually, five years, right? So we got four and a half years. Do you realize what it's going to take to have facilities and everything by 2023 to accommodate that type of growth? I mean, he can go to three, four services. And we're still not going to get there unless he packs out the house every Sunday morning, twice in a row, four times in a row. We could get there, but we don't want to wear our pastor out either. He'll have lots of help, but still, God has called us to press and help him to get to his determined area. Number two. So we're going to forget those things which are behind us. Go to Mark's gospel, chapter number 11. If I don't get to all of them, you won't be mad at me, will you? Mark's gospel, chapter 11. Number two, walking with God. The second thing that you and I need to learn to do, and it needs to be something that becomes automatic to you. How many of you have ever been offended? My next question, how many of you have ever been offended in church? As a... As a pastor, I cannot tell you the number of times that I've had my feelings hurt. Amen. Pastor Justin, I'm sure that you and Pastor Ned, I'm sure you've had a few times that uh, you're not going to share. <laughs> but nonetheless, we're all subject to that. But the next thing is found in verse number 25. What do you think it is? It says, therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Verse 26. But if you do not forgive. Well, wait a minute. Verse 25. I didn't read it, do you, did I? I did read 24, 25, and when you stand praying, forgive. If you have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, 
may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your father. Now, what is it saying? It's saying that you do not have the right nor the privilege to hold people in bondage. The Bible says, whosoever sins you remit are remitted, and whosoever sins you retain are retained. You can hold people in bondage, did you know that? By not forgiving and releasing them. It's your benefit. It's to your benefit that you don't harbor or hold anything. Our walk with God, God does not hold one thing against you. And we have to be like our Father. Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. The anointed one and his anointing. He said, follow me. In other words, repeat, do as I do. Jesus called his disciples. He said, come, follow me. The word follow means to do as he's doing. Not just tag along behind him. They're supposed to duplicate their lives. He spent, he spent uh, three and a half years with 12 men. He mentored 12 people, but he had thousands that followed him. But he mentored 12. One of them messed up big time. Right? But he didn't lose it because the Apostle Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus, came out of that group and God used him. He said he was called for a specific purpose. Matthias wasn't the one to take the place, even though they voted him in. He wasn't the one. Saul, who nobody would have voted for. He had a bad reputation amongst the Christians. Nobody would have. Nobody would let him be a pastor of a church here today either. I'll let that settle for just a second. But the first... Verses of scripture prior to that, it said, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. And we stop there. And then he said, Then he goes on and he says in verse number 25, He said, And when you stand praying, Forgive. He didn't stop with what he was saying. He said, if you want to see mountains removed, you want to see them moved out of the way. Mountains is anything that hinders you from getting to your determined destination. There is nothing that should be able to stop you. Because you have the greater one on the inside of you. I can do all things through Christ. The anointed one and his anointing. I am a carrier of his anointing. I am graced and you are graced to carry his anointing and his authority and his ability to do exploits. Because you're walking with God. Our Father, who loves to give me the kingdom. And all the privileges that are there. So I have to forgive. Let's go again to the next one. Number three, go to Luke's gospel chapter number 11. Luke's gospel chapter 11. First four verses of scripture. And it says, and it came to pass that he was praying in a certain place. When he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in uh, heaven, so in the earth. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But the first part I want you to get is verse number one. What was it that the disciples asked of him? 
They wanted to know because they began to put two and two together. Jesus was constantly separating himself and spending time with his father, praying, getting battle strategies and instructions from the father. Remember, Jesus said, I only do the things that I have seen my father do, and I only speak the words that I have heard my father speak. When did he get those things? When he spent time with the father. And the disciples said, they didn't say, teach us to do miracles. They didn't say, teach us to raise the dead. They didn't say, teach us how to get prosperity. They said, teach us how to pray. Number three, very simple, learn to pray. You're an individual, unique to God, and you, you need to learn to commune with him the way that you feel comfortable with talking with God. I personally spend 95% of my time praying in the Holy Ghost. Paul said, I pray in the Spirit, and I pray with the understanding also. I sing in the Spirit, and I sing with the understanding also. He emphasized Spirit before he did natural. You're a spiritual being. That's my personal You don't have to do that, but I'm just saying that's my personal. So they said, teach us to pray. They wanted to know the connection to his success in touching people's lives was connected to his prayer time. Because every time he came out of his prayer time, he did exploits. Blind eyes were opened. Deaf ears weren't stopped. I never will forget Catherine Kuhlman. We were in her meeting, and we saw such miraculous things. It's just unbelievable what we saw. But the thing that that got me was she was a woman of prayer. They would have to go get her off of her knees to bring her into the services because her deepest prayer was, God, I want to end my lifetime. I want to see everybody in the service healed. Everybody. Remember, Jesus had several times where everybody got healed. Not one walked away. They all got healed. That was her greatest desire was to see that. And she walked with God. And she was such a friend with the Holy Ghost. We were there in the service and, and things were, were moving. People were getting up off of sick beds. You'd have to see it. It's the auditorium in, in Houston. It seated thousands of people in the bleachers. But the whole floor was open for sick beds. And they were bringing them in with ambulances by the thousands, lining them up on the floor in wheelchairs and it was just amazing. But you know what I, I realized, and it's, it's my next point that I'm going to give to you, is what happened in that service wasn't because of Catherine Kuhlman. It was because the people came with such expectation. Now, I've been in, foreign, in, in the foreign field, and you, when you go to, uh, you know, third world countries, and everything else, they don't have what you have and what I have. They don't have a church on every corner. They don't have a, a, you know, a Bible school or a Bible store where you can, you can buy things. They, don't, they, didn't have cassette, they didn't own a cassette player, much less be able to get cassettes or anything back in the time that I was there. They would go to their religious church, and they got nothing. And then whenever we would come in, you would think that we were Jesus himself. They, would, they were so hungry to hear something fresh and something new. And miracles just happened. You know why? Because they came with such expectation. Pastor Justin, if we could ever teach our congregations to come with such expectancy... God will move. The Holy Ghost is ready to do 
he, but he will not. And that's what Catherine Kuhlman, she was so sensitive. She would say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. My friend is leaving. My friend is leaving. Get back in prayer. Get back. Get hooked up. Get refocused. He said, my, I can't do anything without the Holy Spirit here. Not that he was going to leave her, but he wasn't going to f- function anymore because people were getting on the signs and the wonders. Me being one myself. Because of what I witnessed and what I saw. It was just phenomenal. So my fourth point is this. You can write this down. So we're, we're going to let go of the past. Those things that dog us. The enemy tries to bring up and throw up in our face. We're going to learn to forgive. We're going to learn to pray. And then number four, we're going to learn to worship. Now listen. He said in the last days, in John's gospel, he said, there's, there's coming that time when the true worshiper, the true worshiper is going to worship in spirit and in truth. Worship as an expression of relationship. How deep the relationship is, is how deep you're going to go into worship. And then you go into the final utopia, which is adoration. Where your total complete focus is on God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit and His Word. That's what your function in life is. That's what you live off of. You can't wait to get into his presence. In his presence is where you find all the joy you'll ever want in your life. The fullness of joy is found in the presence of the Lord. Amen. The peace of God that passes all understanding, it rules your heart and your mind whenever you get into that form and that attitude of worship. Worship is an expression of something that is inward, that's coming to the outside. It's spirit connecting with spirit. God is spirit. You are spirit. We're not trying to reach him here. We're trying to reach him here. And whenever we get into that kind of worship, God will begin to use the gifts in such a glorious way because we create the atmosphere that becomes conducive for marvels, wonders, extraordinary manifestations of the greatness of our God. Hallelujah. Number five. I know I've already gone over just a little bit, but I need to tell you one more story of something that happened to me personally. But number five is you need to learn to give. We talk about giving. You know, we really shouldn't have to be pumped to give. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about time. I'm talking about ministering to those that are less fortunate than you and I. It shouldn't be a hard thing for us to give, to give of our time, to give of our energies, to give of our resources in life, just to give, to give love, to give peace, to give joy, to give healing. Remember the scripture was brought, you know, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, Peter says, but such as I have, I've got it. You've got it. But such as I have, give I thee. It's more blessed to give than to receive. You know why? Because when you give, it multiplies back. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. He just gives you more and more and more and more and more. I was invited, in closing, I was invited to, this is when I was pastoring a church in West Texas, not far from here, in the, Midland, Odessa area, and I was invited to an all-black church, and they wanted our band to come, and they wanted me to come preach the word. 
So I said, sure, I would love to do that. And so I get our band up. We got there. I said, what time do you want us there? They said, six o'clock. The service starts at seven. I said, okay, we'll be there. So I got our band all together, and we, we got there just a little bit before 6 o'clock, and the doors were open, but there was nobody there. So we went in, and we set up our instruments and everything else, and the band was there, and they were waiting and everything else, and 7 o'clock comes, and nobody is in the building that we, can, that we know of. And then all of a sudden, there comes a group of men who are the elders of the church, I found out later, they came out and they sat in their position on the front row of the church. And they started praying. Nobody's in the building except us, all of us white folk. And nobody came over and greeted me. Nobody came and said anything to any of the band members or anything else. This goes on until 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock, the people start straggling in. And about 8.30, it was relatively full. But then they had testimonial time. And people were sharing their testimonies. They were giving their testimonies of what God had been doing and everything else. And finally, at about 9.30, they gave me the pulpit. But that was after our band played for about 15 minutes, you know, or 20 minutes, something like that. And they gave me the service. And I got up and started preaching. And I don't know, uh, I'm, I'm sure all of those that uh, uh, have ever been to a black church, they have somebody that's on the organ. And they were on the organ while I was preaching. You know, I'm preaching along and they're... I mean, they're right with me. And all of a sudden, you, you, you kind of get in with the rhythm with them. You know, and you, you start preaching, and I started preaching and everything else, and there was a little lady that had been playing the piano back over on this side, and the gentleman was playing the organ over here, and, and this little lady was sitting over behind me, and, and she was saying, Preach it, preach it, preach it. Preach it, brother, preach it. And then I turned around, and I looked at people, and they're out there. They've got their little white hankies out, and they're shaking their, their hankies at me. And I thought, what am I doing? For these people to do that. And I turned around and this lady behind me. I got so caught up with the lady behind me. I turned and I looked at her. And she said, preach it brother, preach it. She's waving her little hanky at me. She says, preach it brother, preach it. And I finally told her. I said, ma'am, I have preached everything I know. <laughs> I've told you everything I know. She said, no sir. No sir. Preach it. Preach it. She says, start over. I said, okay. So we started over. I'm saying all that to say this to you. They created such an atmosphere in that church that the Holy Ghost just began to move. They had brought in a lady, carried her in off of Wherever she came from, she couldn't walk. She had no crutches. She had no wheelchair. They couldn't afford it. They carried her in, and they set her in a chair, and they had two people on each side to prop her up, to keep her up. We started praying for people, and <laughs> this little lady was down there. She was on the front row. And, she, and these two people were standing right next to her, and they picked her up underneath her arms, and they brought her forward. And they said, Pastor, she's, she hasn't walked in years. Would you pray for her? I said, absolutely. I reached up, and I put my hand on her. And I said, in the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden, they didn't have catchers. All of a sudden, she shot out of their arms, and she went backwards, and she hit that old wood floor. Boom! And I said, oh, God. 
I said, well, they wanted me to pray for her. I did. (laughs) But when I prayed for her, it knocked me back. And I mean, I was wobbly. I could hardly stand up myself. And anyway, she laid on the floor. I prayed for some other people. We went down and prayed for other people. Other things happened and everything else. But after a while, this little lady, she sits up on her own. And you could tell. She's, she's drunk on new wine. I mean, you could tell. And, and people came over to her to, to grab her. I said, don't touch her. Don't touch her. I've seen Brother Hagen do that. Don't touch her. <laughs> Don't touch her. I said, God's not through with her yet. When, when she gets ready, she'll get up. And I went down and prayed for two or three more people. In a few minutes, I turned around, and she's standing up on her feet. She's kind of wobbly, but she's standing on her feet. And I went back over to her, and I said, you do know you're standing up. On your own. She said, I am? I said, yes, you are. You are standing up. And she's beginning to come to. And I said, go back or walk as fast as you can to the back door. And then I want you to turn around. And I want you to come back. So she turned. And as she began to walk, she started walking faster and faster and faster. And when... Her pastor saw that happen. He came up and stood right by me. He is weeping profusely. She hits that sanctuary door. She turns around and she runs and falls into the arms of the pastor. Now, that being as exciting as it was, and I mean the crowd just went ecstatic. We ended up closing out the service. We went home. And Diane and I were preparing ourselves, just kind of rehearsing everything that had transpired and happened and everything else. What nobody knew was whenever I played football and stuff, I hurt my knee, and I would get water on my knee. And whenever I'd preach, my, my knee would swell up real big. I'd go home, you know, and I'd just lay down and prop my leg up, sometimes put ice on it and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, I got in bed and... I laid there waiting for it to swell. And it wouldn't swell. I got out of the bed. And I started doing these deep knee bends. You know, real low and back up. Real low and back up. Started jumping on it. You know, and everything. And Diane says, what are you doing? I said, look. Look. I said, it's not swelling. I said, whenever... That woman got healed. It reciprocated back to me and it healed my knee. I'm telling you, worship and creating an atmosphere will do phenomenal things. And we're the kind of people that can do that. Amen? Amen. Well, did you get anything out of this? God bless you. Pastor, thank you.